0: This is Ars Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning, James. Good
1: morning. How are you doing? I am all right. How are you? I'm very well. Mm. I'll be honest, I woke up this morning. You know, when you wake up and you feel like the only way, you, the only way you could possibly have slept is if you slept in some sort of torture device where they've been mangling your back. Mm. And it, there's no serviceable explanation for why, but you wake up as if everything's all crunched up and yeah. broken. I, I have that feeling, but aside from that, I'm good. Aside from that, you're all right. That's good. That's good. Apart from the searing, terrible
0: pain, everything is okay. Exactly. Just another day. Just another day. Uh, What about yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. Had a nice weekend. Went to see Adam Buxton do his David Bowie thing last night here in Dublin, which was Uh, great. Yes. Fantastic show. Yeah. So uh, if anybody in the uh, in the UK is uh, around, I don't know if he's doing any more over there, but it's still a great show. And he's a very funny man. He is. Mm-hmm. Very funny indeed. Yes. So that was it. Uh, apart from that, uh, you know, just the usual football, um, football, 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 and some
1: football over the weekend. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the thing about a Saturday lunchtime kickoff for an Arsenal game. It really feels like it means the weekend's kind of full, you know, from, from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, with football action. Yeah. Piping hot. Yes. Football
0: action. <laughs> I watched quite a bit because I had a lot of work to do after the game on Saturday, and... Um ended up watching the Liverpool game while I was tapping away on my computer. Uh, so watched them uh, draw against Southampton. Uh, and uh, yeah, watched Match of the Day the other night until such time as I sort of fell asleep and had to go to bed. So I have a little bit at the end of Match of the Day to pick up on. But yeah, it was all good. It was all
1: good. Um, I mean, was it all good? I mean, I have to say, you know, the Arsenal match, I didn't enjoy... I mean 89 minutes of it particularly.
0: <laughs> I get that I get that.
1: I, you know I'm in a weird I'm in a weird place about this
0: um, about this game and this result and the analysis of it and the I, I suppose in one way what it's done is it sort of s- sparked a bit of debate and a bit of um, uh, discussion about the team and, and there are various things obviously that we'll touch on uh, as we go through the podcast but l- let me put it to you like this mm. if I was to say to you, given our record at Old Trafford over the years, given the fact that it's an early kickoff on a Saturday morning, given the fact that we have some injuries to players like Hector Beller and Sandy Cazorla, Alexis Sanchez is coming back from a long trip away with, uh, with Chile. He's got a hamstring strapped up to be Jesus. Um, all of that uh, after an interval where we've had just one training session. If before the game I had offered you a draw, would you have taken it?
1: Yes, probably. Mm. Yes, probably. And I, I, funnily enough, I thought it was a game that was always quite likely to be a draw because it it struck me as one that really, you know, Mourinho wouldn't want to lose. I mean, I know he was very close to winning it, uh, but, you know, he tends to sap his teams relatively conservatively in these big games. It felt like one that we might struggle to win. So I wasn't massively surprised by the actual end result and not massively disappointed by it. I think... I suppose it's about the broader context, isn't it? I think that the, the, the North Island derby was similarly not a poor result, but a poor performance and a slightly underwhelming result. So I think kind of two of those in succession maybe has contributed to some of the, mm. the gloom and over-analysis that's occurred off the back of this game.
0: Right, so it's more about performance than result. Is That's fair to I say. I think so.
1: Yeah, right. I think so. Right. Because, you know... We're still unbeaten, aren't we? Yeah. Um, apart from the opening day of the season, exactly. Apart from that one. Oh, that one. Uh, but the the draw a draw at Old Trafford in isolation isn't a bad result. True. True. But of course, it's difficult to look at it in just
0: isolation at this closer closer remove. I think in in time, maybe we might look back yeah. and say, well, that was actually a, a very decent point. I think you know when you look at when you look at how the result came about. The Arsenal players, I think, are going to be much happier than the Manchester United players, and much more encouraged than the Manchester United players. Despite the fact that uh, United played much better than we did, they had more chances. Uh, I think they, I think they deserved their lead. Their their goal came after a period of of real pressure in the second half. You know, they turned the screw a little bit. There were a series of corners, and it felt like something was coming in the game. So. For them to go 1-0 up, I think it was probably a reward for the way that, that they played. Um, mm. but then to lose, well, to lose two points, uh, to get dragged back very late in the game, uh, by Olivier Giroud's goal, I think is going to be quite damaging to them. Whereas for us, I think we can, we can probably look at the, the circumstances and say perhaps the circumstances are a little bit mitigating like old trafford last year was such a disaster we, we talked about this last year that i think there was probably some kind of uh if if not a hangover uh you know some fear some trepidation i think that was evident in in, in the way the team was was set up but phil jones said after the game it felt like we got slapped six nil that's what he said and that's how it wow. felt to the to the manchester united players whereas the arsenal players are going to go well fuck we played poorly today, and we still had enough in us to get a result, uh, get a, a draw from that game. And I think if we're looking at the impact of the game on the two teams, I think it's much more positive for Arsenal, despite the fact that we we really did play very poorly.
1: We did, yeah. And I think, you know, if you're looking for explanations to that, I think the the international break's as good as any, really. I think we, we typically... You know, I feel like we we often struggle for the same kind of fluency after the players go off all around the world and don't have any time training together. And I think that I saw a couple of United fans, friends of mine, on uh, well acquaintances on my uh, Twitter timeline saying that describing the result as kind of sickening. And obviously, seeing fans of a rival club say things like that is always somewhat enriching and rewarding. Yeah, and it feels a little bit like something that. Would normally happen to us. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: We've been the we've been on the other end of it so many times that um, uh, you can't you can't do anything other than enjoy it, you know. And and that's not to say you can't raise questions or have concerns. But I think you know when you get that late late equaliser, it feels amazing. It's like a late winner. But you you know how crushing it is when the shoe is on the other foot. It's just so disheartening, and you feel like oh god, you know what's wrong with us? Why? What's wrong with our mentality? I mean, I think if that had been Arsenal leading. 1-0 and United scored in the last minute, uh, you know, lots of questions would have been asked, asked about Arsenal's mentality, about their ability to to concentrate, to hang on, you know, are we resilient enough, all those things, I, you know, I think people would have asked those questions. Maybe they are asking them about Manchester United, I don't know, I'm not reading around uh, about what it's like from a Manchester United point of view. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, on, on that, uh, you know, I think we can we can take the positive and of course we keep that unbeaten run going, which I think is hugely important even if we're not playing particularly well at the moment, the you know the the longer we go unbeaten, the more confidence, or the more maybe the more difficult we'll, the the players will feel it is to to uh, to get beaten. You know that they'll keep going. I mean, what do you think of uh, uh, you know it's a late goal from Giroud. There was a late goal against Southampton. There was a late goal against Burnley away from home. Is is it a pattern? I mean, should, I mean, should on the one hand, should we be concerned that we need these late goals or on the other, should we be relatively happy that the team is capable of getting them when we need them?
1: I think it's a bit of both. It's always the same. Whenever you get a late goal, it's that thing of, you know, if, it, if it's happening more than once, it's kind of, well, you've got to praise the resilience of the team and the fact they keep going till the last minute. Mm. You've also got to slightly worry about the fact that they end up in a position where they're they're desperate enough to have to do that. You know, if you think about our best performances, they tend to be ones where we get early goals and are Mm. able to go on and dominate games. But I do think that having gone behind relatively late, was it the 70th minute, something like that, that Juan Mata scored? 60, 65
0: minutes, something like that. I think it was between 60 and 70 minutes anyway.
1: Uh, And there was kind of a a little 15-minute spell after that where it looked, to be honest, more likely that United might double their advantage. Um, And as we entered the last 10 minutes, I couldn't really see anything coming. But the fact that we were able to put something together, I think owes something to the players, also something to the manager who, maybe having got his initial selection wrong, certainly improved things with his substitutions. And and one thing I would say is that I saw a, a Spurs fan <laughs> again, on my social media, an acquaintance, in- another acquaintance. acquaintance, an acquaintance, uh, absolutely infuriated about the number of late goals Arsenal scored this season. So again, you know, I think it's something we should probably take uh, a measure of satisfaction on, especially if it's pissing everyone else off.
0: Yeah. All right. So look, let's let's deal with that then. Let's deal with the the team selection and the way that he set up the team uh, to play at Old Trafford. You know, on the one hand, having seen what happened there last year. Uh, I guess a measure of caution was was understandable. Mm. Um, trying to be a bit more defensively solid, trying to add some experience to the team. Um, Alexis got the nod up front. Aaron Ramsey played on the left hand side of midfield, and we had Mohamed El Nani and Francis Coquelin in the center of midfield. Um, w- which bit do you think was. If we're, if we're talking about him getting it wrong, which bit was the most wrong for you?
1: Well, t- to be honest, uh, I think that uh, in terms of the way he played, Aaron Ramsey's deployment on the left seemed like a bit of a disaster. Uh, it's something I thought Arsene would do. I thought it was kind of a... I thought it was relatively logical. I know that it's not a position he knows well, but I could understand the rationale but I thought it didn't pan out for Ramsey at all. I think it didn't have a good game. Um, nevertheless, that that didn't feel like the area of the pitch where we where we failed to get a foothold. I think that was actually in the middle of the park itself. Mm. Now whether that would have been solved by putting Ramsey in there, uh, I think actually the omission of Shaka was probably the most surprising decision Arsene made and I actually think it might have been the one that gave us the most problems because while Ramsey didn't perform well on the left we sort of didn't even get that far most of the time Yeah. Uh, so yeah I think maybe leaving Shakur out was the one I mean you know, the, the absence of Kazola was obviously talked about and has been talked about a lot in the last few weeks and sadly looks like it's going to continue and I do think that is kind of the problem to be solved without Kozula, what is the midfield formula that, that works for us? Yeah, I mean, because when you look
0: at the passing statistics between Elneny and Kokolan I think they've 88%, 93% pass completion. Elneny made maybe twice as many passes as kokolan You know, they're, they're tidy. They're both tidy players mm-hmm. on the ball, but I think the issue then is that when you need somebody to try and uh, dissect the opposition or to try and find a way through, we don't have that in a central area. And I know Ramsey comes in to drift uh, you know drift into the middle a little bit but he was told I I guess to stay left as much as possible he had some work to do with Antonio Valencia who was really hard to handle Uh, he played extremely well I thought Um, I always remember when they signed him from Wigan going wow they're buying a guy from Wigan and then they're going to play him at right back but he's been been really brilliant for them and he is a tough player a tough opponent and he gave uh, Ramsey and Monreal a difficult time but yeah I agree with you about the about the absence of Xhaka. I think, uh, I think he would have been somebody who could perhaps have made a bit of a difference, uh, to, to the way that we played, particularly in the second half when we really, really went off the boil. I thought the first half was relatively even relatively, Mm. I know that Czech was the busier of the goalkeepers, of course. He made a couple of good saves, but, you know, it it felt like a a reasonably typical away-from-home performance against a big side where, okay, you've got the first 45 minutes under your belt, you've kept a clean sheet thus far, now come out in the second half and be a little bit more expansive, perhaps a little bit more ambitious, but we we just weren't able to do that with the personnel that we had. So I think it is the, the big question that he's got at the moment, what is the midfield combination that will really make this team Tick, uh, and I'm not. I'm not sure if he knows.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think really we talk about the selection. and What was the big selection? It's it's all the same. All part of the same question, really, because he he had the option of putting Ramsey in the middle and opted to to put him out on the left hand side. I think. No-one's suggesting that Elneny and Coquelin can't pass the ball or aren't tidy players. I think they definitely are pretty efficient. But Santi Cazorla, you know, we, we wonder why we struggle to replace him. But he's such a special footballer. It's not just the range of passing he has. It's that ability he has to beat a man mm. in the middle of the park, to get away from people in close, confined spaces and suddenly get you out of trouble and away on the counter-attack. That's a pretty unique skill set to replace and not one... I suppose not one that you can expect Arsenal to find a like-for-like replacement for. It's the same for if they lost Erzul. You know, it's not necessarily someone who you drop in and it's like, wow, we've solved it. So it's about finding a different dynamic, maybe.
0: Right. Mm.
1: I mean, yeah, which yeah. is, uh, which you know, maybe is more to do with getting Aaron Ramsey in a central place. He's such a different player to Kozola, but he is still a, a quality player nonetheless. And maybe if you if you build around him. I don't know, maybe Austin's loath to do that, thinking that Kazola might not be too far away, but it doesn't sound as if his return is particularly imminent. No, he's gone off to this to see this specialist in Spain um,
0: who's worked with Pep Guardiola, a lot of Barcelona, and Guardiola sent over Kevin De Bruyne and Vincent Kompany to this doctor this season to get them over some injury problems that they were having. Uh, obviously, De Bruyne is back. Kompany, I think, um, was back at the weekend, but but suffered a, another injury. I think it was a head, a head injury, though. Yeah, a head injury. So, yeah. so nothing like... nothing. Um, too physical, or or to do with his previous problem. So hopefully he can get him back. But in the meantime, we we have to find a way around it. So w- what what do we do in that regard? I mean, he, it feels like he has to play either one of Coquelin and El Does it, or can he do? Is is Ramsey and Jacka just too out there? Too out there, maybe. Is it though? Uh, I, mean, I mean, just I mean, do, do you miss? Do you miss the ball winner? Do you miss? I mean. Cockleland does a job in terms of his defensive awareness uh, and his tackling. I thought he made some good tackles. At old so did well, I. There was I'm one. Saying. There was one interception early on where he was really, really switched on. Um, yeah. uh, and I think for all the criticism that he gets, perhaps as somebody who, who stunts the way that we play, we do benefit from the way that he can win the ball back and the way that he tries to press and also uh, just the fact that there's somebody in in the midfield willing to put the tackles in and is more or less defensively minded, even if it looks as if sometimes the instructions that he's got are to play higher up the pitch than we might like.
1: Yeah, I think they are. I think they are. That's partly to free... Free his partner, I suspect, so that they can you know distribute the ball with a bit more space but mm. i I agree that he's important. I really feel like i mean I'm sure we'll talk about this plenty this season, but it is interesting is it not how how difficult Arsene Banker seems to find it to accommodate Aaron Ramsey centrally, you know mm-hmm. the guy who that is his, you know, denoted position. It's where he wants to play. But if you think about it, over the last two years, really, it's some. Um, it's something that arsene has been quite loath to do. And uh, I mean, that that's really the the key in the conundrum. As for Shaka, I think Shaka's got every right to feel a little bit disappointed not to have been in the starting eleven. I thought he played pretty well in the last game at Spurs. Um, and and Arsene Wenger gave the explanation after the side I went with. Cochlan and Lenny and Ramsey because of the physicality, you know, they're used mm. to the physicality that Mourinho's teams have. But you would you would say that would be one of uh, Xhaka's strong attributes, right? His, his physical capacity, his strength, his ability to deal with that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, a little bit surprising to see him left out. I I don't think he's going to let go of playing Coughlin, Uh which means it's it's down to someone else really to prove they can play alongside him Nenny is the guy who's done that the most of the mm. current options and mm. so seems to be getting the nod on that
0: basis. So well let's go back to Ramsey then. If he's not prepared to play Ramsey as a central midfield player. Mm. What what does what does that say or what does the future hold? I mean I think you know you can be critical of Ramsey for his performance. I, you know I didn't think he played particularly well on Saturday but then I don't think anybody did. I don't I didn't think Ramsey was um, outstandingly worse than anybody else. Um, but he's a guy who's being played out of position. We know he doesn't like playing in the wide areas. He's been asked to do a job there. It's not a job that's necessarily um, difficult, but it's not it's not where he feels he can play his best football. Uh, does he have to give him a run in the center of midfield and see if it can work? And if not, if he's not prepared to play him as a central midfield player, well, is it time to like consider other options? <sighs>
1: Maybe. I mean, you know, it, as I say, it's been some time. I, I think the problem with Ramsey is that really <laughs> Arsene Wenger would like to play him as a kind of number 10, as a kind of attacking midfielder who's kind of devoid of some of those defensive responsibilities. I think he thinks of him as a player who probably isn't conservative enough to play in that, that two in front of the back four. You know, although we play cockland and Kazola there ordinarily, mm-hmm. neither of those players is quite as prone to getting beyond the striker as as Aaron Ramsey is. Uh, and I suspect that plays into Ostfinger's mind. He's got Erzul bombing on he, he just doesn't know if he can afford to have Ramsey doing that too. As for what he should do about that, uh, I don't know. Not playing him on the left would be mm. my conclusion after Saturday. Or, or the right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I don't the thing is I don't I haven't minded him on the right. I don't think he's I don't think he's been bad. I think it's I think his biggest problem there is that Theo Walcott's been really good. I mean, and that's, you know, not necessarily looking like an option. I mean, what what would you do? Would you give him a run in the middle?
0: I think before you make your mind up on a player, you have to give him games in his favorite position. And mm. and then if he doesn't perform, then you can come to perhaps something closer to a definitive judgment about him. I mean, there's, there's no question that he's a guy who's far from the player we would like him to be or the player that we thought he could be, but at the same time There are circumstances, there are mitigating circumstances. He has been out injured. He's uh, had injury-punctuated seasons. He's only, what was this, his third or fourth appearance of the season? So, you know, he's a guy who's probably still a little bit away from full match fitness. Uh, But I also think when you play a guy out of position, you have to look at his performance in that context as well. Um, So if, if he can't do it in the center of midfield after getting a run of games in there, then okay, we can call time or do whatever, but I would like to see him get a run of games in, in central midfield. The issue is who is the right guy to partner him. And that's where well, that's the, that we've seen him with Coquelin. It doesn't really work. I don't know if we've seen him enough with Elmeny, uh, maybe a couple of times. Um, what we haven't seen is Xhaka and Ramsey. But whether that has the, the defensive discipline or bite or aggression that Arsene Wenger wants or feels is really important now with the emergence of Cockalan over the last couple of seasons, I don't quite know, but maybe maybe it's worth a try. Because it's something has to something has to change in the center of midfield for this team to, to work properly. And without, as you say, someone with the craft of Kazorla who's more or less irreplaceable in terms of his own skill set the two-footedness um mm-hmm. you know the way that he the, the skills that he has the ability to 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 move the ball left or right because of how good he is with either foot you know that that is more or less irreplaceable and if that's such a key component of the way that you want your team to play, you can't look at what you've got and say, "Okay, well, that's how that's how we 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 do it." This is the solution. I think you've got to find a new way, and maybe Shaq and Ramsey is the way. It might be a disaster, but maybe it's uh, maybe it's worth a try. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I think it could be worth a try. It's just a question of whether it's worth a try in a game as massive as the one at home to PSG if Arsenal will gamble that soon, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, that's a yeah. tricky one. It is a, it is well, a
1: tricky we'll come, one. We'll come on to PSG, I guess. What did you make of the the two goals, the United goal first? I mean, who did you hold accountable on, on that one from an Arsenal point of view?
0: Well, Theo Walcott held his hand up and said, blame me. Uh, for the Ooh. goal, I know some people were pointing fingers at El Meni as well. Um, I mean, Monreal was done a little bit too easily, uh, just switched off very slightly to let Herrera. I mean, I, yeah. I know Manchester United fans love Herrera, but he's just a divey bastard, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's a nightmare to play against. He's oh, a yeah. real evil one. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. probably why they like him, actually. Yeah, because he's such a cunt. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I mean look, it was a well worked goal. The finish was finish was tidy from matter. I did like the, the the guys on Sky going, Oh, that's such a difficult finish. Oh my goodness. Dude. I can't tell you how difficult that is to it was a fucking square ball that he just had to side foot into the bottom corner of the net. What are they talking about? As if it was some <laughs> kind of fucking piece of wonderful skill. I mean, it was a good finish, you know, but come on, this is a fucking professional so it was a good it was a good goal. Um, from a United point of view, a sloppy one. From an Arsenal point of view, and it just shows you that when you when you switch off defensively, then you know you can you can get punished very very easily. And I think we did a couple of players guilty of switching off, and United exploited that. But it also came, as I said, after a period of a fairly intense United pressure um, that we couldn't. Again, you, you might uh, you might ask if if we had something better going on in midfield, might we have been able to? You know, just take the sting out of their uh, their period of pressure. But yeah, what what did you think?
1: Yeah, I, I basically agree. I thought Monreal switched off, and I thought probably Coquelin and El Nene could have been a bit sharper and more aware of matters. Run. I was slightly surprised by Theo Walcott <laughs> sort of coming out and saying it's my fault. I mean, I I could kind of see what he meant, but it kind of felt like a a bit of a an umjoomy But if if he's going to say, you know. If he's going to take responsibility for all sorts of defensive things, I guess that's something we've got to praise. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, it wasn't a great one for us to concede, but it had been coming and I was thoroughly unsurprised when it hit the net. But I must say, uh, at the other end of the field, mm. I, I, I really enjoyed our goal. Yes, Yes, I mean,
0: like you said, at the start, credit to the manager for the substitutions. There's uh, some questions and stuff about substitutions, which we'll get to in the second part. But, uh, you know, he did he did make the changes. I thought perhaps a little bit slow, but as I said, we'll come to that. Oxley chamberlain mm-hmm. are right back. Um, it was very funny. Uh, did you see the, the post-match interview with Mourinho? I didn't actually, no. He, he pretty much... Um, blamed Rashford uh, for that because Oxley chamberlain uh, ghosted past him. You know, fresh legs. Rashford had been playing the whole game. And uh, Mourinho said, yeah, it's normal. Chamberlain is a fresh guy, you know, against a guy who everybody says should be playing every minute of every game. (laughs) And he's like, oh, "Oh, you fucking cunt. He really is. Um, But, I mean, what a a great cross. And what a fantastic header from Olivier Giroud. I mean, the timing, the jump... Everything was absolutely perfect. I think he gave a great big shout because there was, was going for it and then just ducked at the last minute. I don't know if you saw that,
1: but uh, yeah. you know, it was a, th- a real thumping header. I love a header like that. So do I. Uh, keeper gone, no chance there. And uh, First of all, brilliant piece of play from Oxley chamberlain I think putting him on a right back, you know, uh, probably raised a few eyebrows, but worked a treat there. He sort of did what Valencia had been doing the whole game yeah. uh, for United. And across really as good as the one he produced at Sunderland for Alexis Sanchez. So mm. I think, you know, everyone's asking for Oxlade-Chamberlain to produce goals and assists, and that is what he's now doing. Yeah. Uh, as for Giroud, brilliant header. What did he make of the celebration or lack thereof from Giroud?
0: I thought it was a, a guy who was frustrated not to, to be starting the game. Mm. Um, I know that mm. there's... You know, maybe some part of him might have gone, well, I played poorly here, got out of jail a bit. I'm not going to run around uh, and, you know, celebrate like I've scored the winner in an FA Cup final or something like that. But you would have thought that when you score a late goal like that, there's there's a lot to be really, really happy about. I don't know if you saw Alexis. He's like jumping all over his back. He couldn't be any happier. And Giroud is just sort of completely chilled. He's almost emotionless. And we know that he's an emotional guy. I've never seen him not celebrate a goal.
1: Ever. Yeah, I don't think that thought of, oh, we didn't play particularly well, that feels a bit sort of considered for that moment when you've just scored a last minute equaliser. Do you know what I mean? I think that it's Mm. sort of, I think it's more likely to be a frustration and you know, maintain disappointment. I think he probably felt like he'd made his point. It certainly felt like that, the way he powered that ball beyond the goalkeeper, that he was trying to make a point. Absolutely brilliant, towering header. Yeah. And uh, it, it must be frustrating for him because he must sense... I mean, frankly, if Arsene Wenger's prepared to play Alexis when he's only got one hamstring, yeah, it, it tells you something, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not necessarily... Uh, A slight
0: on Giroud that he's picked Alexis. I mean, I think we could all understand why he picked Alexis because of the way that he's played this season and because of the way the team has played this season with Alexis uh, at centre forward. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's contributing. Uh, Arsene Wenger said afterwards he's angry in a positive way and then says, I'd say he's more determined than angry. He said, I have a lot of respect not only for his quality as a footballer, uh, but for the man. The best answer he can give is always to show what he did today. So it was a message. You know, he's come off the bench, um, was it at Sunderland, and scored uh, a couple of goals. Um, This is another game where he's come off the bench and scored. I mean, I don't think he started a Premier League game yet this season. And we are, look, it's the 21st of November. I know he's had some injury issues, um, and that's been a frustration for him. But, you know, from going uh, from the guy who was the... I guess first choice center forward pretty much week in, week out to somebody who's now being viewed as perhaps a super sub or somebody who can only make an impact from the bench. Uh, It must be frustrating for him. And again, like you say, frustrating when, when Alexis is clearly not 100% fit that he, he still didn't pick him. But I mean, I wasn't surprised. I thought the fact that Giroud is capable of making an impact from the bench, uh, it's obviously a positive thing for us, but not necessarily a positive thing for him when it comes to his chances of starting games. Because to have that option on the bench is is very is a very good thing uh, for for the manager because he knew that. Well, look, if if something goes wrong with Alexis or if something goes wrong with the game, I've got a guy who I can bring on here who is capable of getting me a goal. Whereas yeah. you know, without that, without having that option on the bench, you sort of slightly weaken your
1: your hand. So. I st- I saw a stat this morning, Olivier Giroud, now the highest uh, goal scorer coming off the bench in Arsenal's Premier League history. Yeah. Uh, he's got ten goals in the Premier League, having come on as a substitute. Right. Uh, not, not a bad record. Would he hazard a guess at who's joint, joint second uh, with nine? Coming off the bench? Yeah. In... In the Premier League.
0: In the Premier League.
1: In history. Yeah, going back to the start of the Premier League, yeah.
0: Robert Perez?
1: Robert Perez, I think, is around about seven. With nine in second place, you've got Carnu. Oh, wow. Who's something of a super sub himself, and somewhat surprisingly, Nicholas Bentner. Wow. Yeah. There you go. It's interesting that. I wonder if that tells you something. I don't know, but those are three quite tall guys who were fairly decent in the air. I wonder if it tells you something about the way Arsenal approach games in the latter stages, or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, is there something to be said for bringing on that kind of striker? Sure, I mean, I think so.
0: I think so, because, you know, w- when you do... I mean, look at what United did, which I thought was really interesting. Well, not interesting. They brought Mata off, and Schneiderlin came on, and they immediately got 10, 11 men behind the ball. So they invited the pressure, and I, I know that that's the way that football goes, that when a team is is uh, seeking, a, seeking a goal in the last stages of a game, they tend to put pressure on, and as the, the team defending the lead, it's natural to sort of fall back and, uh, and try and do that. Um, but yeah, it does play into the hands of a team that's going to get, if you can get wide and get crosses in. This is what can happen, yeah. So it seems to sort of fit with the natural rhythm of a game, or, or, or uh, the way that a game like that is going, bringing on a guy like like Giroud. So look, credit to certainly him. for
1: Arsenal, yeah, yeah. And I think you know it's that classic Plan B thing, isn't it? Have yeah. you got a Plan B? And the the problem for him is that he's such a brilliant Plan B um, mm. that it's it's almost hard for him to to reclaim his place as Plan A because he's doing yeah. quite so well in the in the. Opposite role.
0: All right, well, look, the league table. Chelsea went top um, with their win at the weekend. I've forgotten who they were playing. Um, Middlesbrough. Like Middlesbrough, they that's right.
1: Had yeah. got draws against us in City, but mm. quite against Chelsea. They, uh, Chelsea feel... oh Diego Costa seems to be scoring... Every week. I, I, I sort of, yeah, you know, I'm infuriated by it. There you go. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, he is, uh, he's in good form, isn't he? I was listening to that one yeah. on the radio. Uh, Liverpool uh, in second place on 27. Manchester City on 27. We're then in fourth uh, on 25 points. Tottenham in fifth, 24 points. Fourth, l- you say? Uh, uh, fourth, <laughs> yes, indeed. There's a long way to go, James. It's only one yes, quarter I, of the yeah. season gone. There's still 75% of the games to go. But look, you know, it's it's uh, it's tight, um, it's tied up there there's only three points between us and Chelsea uh, there's a there's a long way to go and I think you know the fact that we've remained unbeaten since the opening day of the season is is a positive thing um and even if the last couple of games haven't gone the way we would have liked, I think it's much more positive this season than it has been you know this is a, a bit of a dip in form and hopefully we can turn that around on on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, I think so I think you know I, you're absolutely right because it has been a difficult difficult run and does it get a little bit easier for us in the Premier League now I'm just thinking you know we've got Bournemouth at home West Ham away Stoke at home mm. Everton away City away I suppose it's not too easy is it
0: <laughs> no it's not but it's it's a little less intimidating I mean West Ham have been poor this season Bournemouth you would fancy us to to beat Bournemouth at home um, Stoke, Stoke at home yeah exactly you know Stoke at home is a, a game that's traditionally uh, one that we take maximum points from um Everton away, you know, Everton is a tricky place to go, but again, they have been not quite as good as everybody thought they were going to be under Ronald Koeman. Um, not, not that they've True hit nice. a roadblock, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's certainly a bit, uh, a little bit easier, but that's not to say it's going to be easy. So, um, you know, again, over the Christmas period when these games come, you know, points and the table can move very rapidly because there's so many games uh, happening so often. So,
1: so we need... A win on Wednesday, do we really? I mean, uh, I forget, actually. Do we need a win, or is it would a draw do us OK? I, I'm not sure. I need to look at the, if the we, Champions League if, table.
0: If we drew 1-1, we would top the group. Right. I think.
1: Well, that's not too bad.
0: I think. No. It would depend, then, on the final games.
1: It would depend on the final games, of course, which our final game is a trip to Basel. Mm. Uh, whereas... PSG will be playing Ludogorettes somewhere or other. So you would, you would imagine that they would win that one. Yeah, but if we drew 1-1 with PSG,
0: that would mean that the two teams are level on head-to-head. And I think our goal scoring, our goal difference is much better than theirs. It's so because,
1: of, our because of the 6-0. The
0: so chances are we would... Yeah, I think 1-1 would pretty much see us top the group unless uh, PSG did something bananas in their in their final game. Uh, but we oh, we true. might we might uh, take a question or two about the PSG game um, in the second part. Will we do that? Sure. But oh. if we win, if we if win we were to
1: win, we definitely uh, tell then, the group. W- right. Lovely. That would be nice. Mm. So we should just win. I think that's... That, uh, okay. Well, let's do that rather than yeah. aim for the Yeah, exactly. The
0: None of these permutations. Fuck that shit. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, look, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnar and at ArseBlog, and of course on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the ArseBlog, which is 100% real news. None of that fake bullshit Facebook news that's going on. It's completely real, all of it. 100% genuine. Absolutely. Even the pictures of monsters that live under my bed, they're there. <laughs> um... Let's, uh, before we do some questions, just remind people that if you want to come to the Arscast Extra live uh, this Thursday at the garage in Highbury and Islington, there are just a few tickets left. So go to myticket.co.uk and search for Arscast, And uh, you can join myself and James and Amy Lawrence and Philippe Clare Claire for uh, an evening of Arsenal chat and waffle and, and all the rest. It'll be good fun.
1: And it's live. It's live.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. Check it out. Um, mm.
1: Be lovely. Be lovely. Be great to see a few familiar faces there. And even some new faces, James. New faces. Some new faces. We can finally figure out who all these people asking us questions on Twitter actually (laughs) are. Yes. Very exciting indeed. Very exciting. Uh, Speaking of questions, have you got one for us? Uh,
0: Yes, I have got one. Um, Great. Seeing as we are playing PSG on Wednesday... In the Champions mm. League, in this uh, in this all uh, crucial clash against PSG, the Champions League on Wednesday, which is in uh, Champions League, it's taking <laughs> place on Wednesday. Yeah, it's against yeah, yeah. it's against PSG. Just in case, crucial clash. Mm, very very important Champions League game on Wednesday against PSG. Mm. Anyway, uh, a number of people have asked about the starting lineup uh, at Funky Fred, and also. At uh Clydeen MacDonald, want to know should we rest Alexis Sanchez for PSG and play Olivier Giroud instead, seeing as Alexis clearly is not fully fit.
1: Yeah, lots of people asking about that, weren't there? Um, should we and w- will we are probably different questions. Aren't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Arsene Wenger. I mean, I liked this question from Alex Gale, just said, is Arsene going to break Alexis again? (laughs) Uh, Because of referencing last year, I guess, Mm. when he's kind of played into the ground almost and and did his hamstring then. I think, um, I mean, look, Olivier Giroud's done done pretty much all he can, hasn't he, in terms of coming off the bench and making an impact. I think he's certainly made his case. Um, will Will it be in Arsene's mind... What happened with Giroud against PSG last time out, where he managed to get himself sent off? I don't know. I, I suspect that will be an isolated incident. I think I think if Alexis can play, he'll probably play, to mm. be honest. I, I, I don't think Arsenal yeah. will shift it up. I, t- I tend
0: to dis- disagree. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Giroud got a start for this game. I think he might want to... Yeah, I think he might want to A be a little bit cautious with Alexis because when you saw the bandages that he's got around his hamstring it's clear that there's a there's a problem there uh, and I understood the selection of him against Manchester United for all the reasons that we we've, we've spoken about but I think there has to be at some point a little bit of caution exercised over a player who's got to be really important for us over the course of uh, the season so I, I wonder depending on what the what the the uh, The reaction to playing against uh, United was, if there's any doubt about that, I think he might want to tap into this frustrated, this angry, this non-celebrating Giroud. A guy who was always happy with life, even when he was flicking his fingers in dismay and despair. When he scored, it brought him joy. And now it's not bringing him any joy. And that's a sad thing. And I think Arsene Wenger might might want to just sort of go, okay, well, here you go. Have a go from the start against these French people that got you sent off last time. And, uh, you know, maybe try and maybe try and tap into that frustration and get a performance out of him. Because, you know, he's not just a guy who's good as a substitute. He is a guy who can score goals when he starts as well. So I think there's a little bit of a danger of overlooking... Um, the goals that he has scored for us and the way that we have played very well at times when when he has started up top. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me at all if if Giroud got a start.
1: Well, I mean, let's not forget, he started the last Champions League game uh, away to Ludogorets. Maybe he's kind of the the David Espina of the attacking realm. (laughs) Uh, But when you say you'd start Giroud, I don't think that's a, a ludicrous suggestion by any means, but what I'd be intrigued to know is whether you would... Play Alexis from the left, or would you leave Alexis out entirely? Again, it would depend on the
0: the the medical side of things and how fit he is. I mean, I would have no problem with playing Alexis on the left if he's fit enough to do that. I suppose right. the worry that you might have then is if if you're playing Alexis from the start and Giroud from the start with without Lucas Perez, without Danny Welbeck, you're leaving yourself light if you need a goal from somewhere, if you need to change things around. We don't necessarily have anyone who can do that. I mean, who is there from an attacking point of view that you could bring on to change? Alex Iwobi, maybe if he doesn't start. After that, we're, we're very light. So I wonder if that might play into his thinking a bit. But, uh, yeah, if he's, if he's fit enough, I'd give Giroud a game up front, put Alexis on the
1: left for this one. OK. And uh, while we're at it, what would you do with the the rest of the team? Would you keep...
0: Uh, oh, know, I'm not being paid £8 million to make these fucking decisions, James.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but, you know, we've got to kind of, fill the podcast. What would so, I do? What would I do? OK, um, obviously, Ospina's
0: going to play in goal. Koscielny Mustafi, I think he'll stick with Monreal. Right back might give him a decision to make. I thought Carl Jenkinson did all right. He looked a little bit nervy at times, a little bit scared at times, but, you know, some of his defensive work was, was really quite good. Um, he
1: seems I mean, most the most natural fit. What's Who else could uh, you go for in there?
0: Would he consider Matthew Debushi, who came through, you know, a reserve game uh, last week and scored against Spurs, would he consider him fit enough or ready enough to play in a Champions League game of this this magnitude? I'm not sure that...
1: I think it's too soon. I, think, if it it. I think it probably is.
0: I think it probably is, but I also think that if he can get himself fit and focused, and and get his head right, that Debouche is our best backup to Hector Bellerin. Um, yeah. midfield. I think it'll be Coquelin and Xhaka.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, because it, sort of freshness from mm. Xhaka, the fact that he didn't play at the weekend.
0: Yeah. Um, Ramsey maybe could be the guy who can change the rhythm of a game from the bench if we need it, if you're starting Alexis and Giroud. So, I, you know, I think it could be uh, Coquelin and Xhaka, Walcott on the right, Alexis, or Iwobi on the left, Giroud up front,
1: and obviously Macedo's in, in the centre. Okay, Mm. strong team, Mm. still a strong team, even with those Mm. changes. Um, I think it'll be something, yeah, I think it'll be similar. I have a slight hunch that he would still keep Alexis up top just because, I don't know, I think that's the the shape of the team that he desires. But Mm. you're kind of convincing me on the Giroud thing. I think, you know, when you talk about it, I, I can see that happening too. But if you are going to play Giroud, I wonder if you might then take the opportunity to put Alexis on the bench, have him as the guy who can change it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, much get, depends on yeah on the all those midfield options. Yeah, yeah and, and, the, and fitness the fitness as
0: well, and the fitness. If there's the, if there's real danger of damaging his hamstring, then I think you, you just have to be cautious. But the importance of the game uh, is also a factor when the manager picks his team. You know, can I get a guy through this game, and if he misses the next two, then you know maybe they're easier games for him to miss, so it's it's all part of the uh the juggling act. Um, so there
1: we go.: Well, look, this is a kind of a selection question too. It's from Akshat uh, Batnagar, and they ask uh why is Shaka not starting? He can create, he's shown he can defend well in the North London derby. surely he's adapted to the EPL now. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit weird, right? Like when Arsene Wenger yeah. spent that amount of money on a central midfield player, and and you know I, we don't necessarily know who signed off and quite how much money it was, but Arsenal's usually pretty pretty key on these things. Um, that's what is that? That's sort of second most he's ever spent on a footballer yeah. behind Mesut Özil, yeah. pretty much. So you would have thought that guy would be an absolutely nailed on starter, and a similar feat to Mustafi. he's played in every single game. So. At this stage of the season, we're into November now. It's not the opening weeks anymore. Mm. It is a little bit odd that Jacques has not been able to nail down a place, is it's
0: it? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think we we spoke before the North London derby and said that the manager's team selection in that game would give us a clue as to what he was thinking about Jack or whether he had the requisite faith in him. And, of course, he mm. picked him. And he started and he played, played pretty well. He was probably Arsenal's uh, best player on the day. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised. I have to say that he didn't start at Old Trafford. Uh, and I think maybe with hindsight, the manager would do it differently. Um, he really wanted to be secure. He wanted to have two uh, two defensive midfielders in there. I don't think he can really play Xhaka on the left. You know, he's not that mobile to play on the left-hand side, whereas Ramsey is a, a much more mobile player. Um, yeah. So I do wonder, maybe if by leaving him out, it illustrates how important he might be or how important he should be to the team. So maybe that's part of it. I, I don't. I don't quite know. Maybe there's. Maybe there's the lesson to be learned. Um. So I mean, it's it's difficult, obviously, we don't know. He's spent a lot of money on him. He's talked up uh, his qualities a lot. maybe there was some worry about him disciplinary um, away from home against uh, against Manchester United. I mean he came on, he was on for what 10 minutes and picked up a yellow card. Um, yeah, sure. So you know I think he's what a booking away now from from a suspension. Uh, Has he got four yellow cards? I must just check this out. He might well do. Yellow cards. No, he's got three. So he got three yellow cards and a a red card to his name. So maybe there was was something in that. But I think he's got to start him uh, against PSG um and he's it, got to f- uh, find out who's going to who's going to partner him because w- we need somebody who can who can pick those passes from deep because otherwise the midfield just becomes entirely too predictable and and we just don't attack the same way that we 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 want to be able to attack
1: yeah i think that you're right and i think uh you know as for why he's not playing we touched on it in the first part of the show, but it's, it's a lot about chemistry, isn't it? It's a, lot, it's a lot about the fact that just it's not a question of him operating on his own. Arsenal has got to find someone who's a cohesive partner for him. Mm. And uh, that hasn't quite happened yet. You know, I think w- we talk about the wealth of midfield options at our disposal, and that's all very well and good, but what the real trick is to kind of separate those into pairs who can dovetail effectively. Yeah, uh, And that's the part that we haven't quite yet mastered. Hmm.
0: Okay Uh, here's a question from Magnus Holmberg who wants to know was Monreal lucky and should it have been a penalty or
1: was it a dive? Well (laughs) I think he was lucky actually I think he was lucky I think if you put your arm across a player like that you're asking for trouble so I, I was surprised when A penalty wasn't given there. Let me say, delighted, pleasantly surprised. You too? Oh, absolutely. I was just waiting for the the whistle to
0: go. It looked... I mean, I know it was a bit of a dive and it was a bit of a coming together of the two players. It would have been a very Mm. soft uh, penalty, but at Old Trafford, Arsenal, away from home, like 99% of the time, that would have been a penalty to Manchester United. It was almost it was almost like the uh, the one that Martin Keown conceded against Solskjaer well. uh, yeah. in, the, in the Invincible season. Um, one of those where you sort of lean into the player and tumble and what have you. Now, I think Valencia was, was light on his feet a bit more than um, Monreal caused him to, to fall down. But just when you looked at it in real time and you looked at the angle the referee had, I was absolutely astonished that they didn't give a penalty. I was really, Man, really fun. surprised.
1: It was Forland, by the way, not Solskjaer. Oh, Forland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil county substitute striker, mm. Manchester United. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I could not. And and to be honest, I don't know if you were watching on uh, Sky, but yeah. I I was flabbergasted that like the the pundits were saying that they thought the referee got it right. I was like, I can't. I mean, you know, I could see their case, but I. I I thought Gary Neville would surely see that as a penalty for United. Mm. I couldn't believe it, but mm. there you go. Um, absolutely got away with that one. And, uh, you know, I think what you've got to look at it is if it happened at the other end, I think you'd be screaming for a penalty, wouldn't you? If sure. You also...
0: Sure. Absolutely. What did you make for a of. Rugby um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you make of Darmian getting away with that tackle on Jenkinson? Was that yeah, a second that yellow
1: was... for you? I think it might have been. I mean, that was kind of for me. Uh, I think he could have been booked before he was actually booked. Yeah,
0: there was one uh, foul on Walcott, which was really, really cynical, which should have been a booking, and then he got yeah, one a few actu- minutes his, later.
1: His actual first booking wasn't a particularly bad one, as I recall. But mm. I remember thinking, well, you're lucky you got away with one earlier than that. Uh, I think he could have gone. I think, I know it shouldn't matter, but I genuinely think that the home-away dynamic really does influence things like that yeah you know I I remember the first booking of the game who was it it was an Arsenal player um, Alexis maybe yeah uh, yeah uh, uh, and it was literally two minutes after a, a worse challenge had gone in from a United player that had gone unpunished and uh, you yeah. know it's that thing where I do think sometimes the crowd and, and the ambience can have a sway on that mm. sort of thing so Damien I thought was a little bit lucky but after the Montréal thing I wasn't in any mood to gripe about it <laughs> all right I think it's your question Probably is my question. Let's have a look. Um, oh, this is from Richard Franklin, who's at the Real Ski on Twitter, and they ask: Is Iwobi's loss of form and lack of replacement the biggest reason for our change in performances?
0: No, I don't. I don't think so. But obviously, when Iwobi is playing well, I think he adds something to the to the team that that n- none of the other white players really do. Um, yeah. I I feel like with Iwobi, uh maybe I'm alone here, but I feel like to a certain extent he's playing within himself. Like there's, th- there should be just a bit more aggression or self confidence about him.
1: I think he's still, Is that his youth. Do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's his youth and relative inexperience and, and the fact that he feels maybe a little bit deferential. Um, you know, he, he seems a very grounded, humble young man, and he's going, well, here I am in the Arsenal starting 11. And I know he's been in the team for quite a while now, but, you know, it, it takes a while to really, really feel part of it. Um, so I think sometimes there's just a little bit of timidity to the way that he plays, where if he was a bit more forceful, um, he, he would he would produce a lot more. Um, but I don't think that's the the main reason why... The, the performances haven't been as good of late. I mean, I think if you have him contributing, it would help. But there are other factors. Uh, you know, the quality of the opposition has changed uh, over the last number of weeks as well. When you've got a North London derby, which is always a game with a very special, intense pressure. And then you're going away to Old Trafford after the interlal, et etc. et cetera. Um, I don't think his absence is, is that. But I think it's been interesting that he's, he's he took him out of the firing line a little bit. Um, I had sort of thought that he might start him at, at Old Trafford, um, but obviously went a, went a different way in terms of how he, he viewed his team. Uh, yeah, He's got I,
1: a I, chance against PSG, I guess, hasn't he? He's got a chance of
0: yeah, playing that game. sure, sure. But I mean, we did speak over the last couple of weeks about maybe just taking him out of the firing line, give him couple of games from the bench maybe just let him refocus take some of the pressure off him uh, and and send him back in again with i won't say the hunger built up but when you've been out of the team for a couple of weeks then you're you're just sort of you redouble your efforts or you're refocused on on the job that you're supposed to do um so yeah i mean he, he hasn't played quite as well as he did towards the start of the season and at times last season but i feel like he's a guy who's who's capable of making a step forward and it'll be like a kick, it'll be like a turbo boost kind of a thing. It won't be I don't think it'll be slow, I think something will happen with a that will sort of propel him forward. So whether that's a big goal or a big performance in a big game, I'm I'm not quite sure, but I feel like that's that's the next thing that's gonna happen to him and after that I think he'll he'll really kick on.
1: Yeah. I mean a goal wouldn't go amiss, would it? No. A goal could certainly be the thing. Um yeah, if he comes on to get the winner against PSG, maybe that'll be the catalytic moment mm. right there.
0: All right. Uh, this one comes from a couple of questions here sort of related. This one from Fred Thurbin at RLF86. And... He says, people talk about early subs. How early can you make a substitution? Is there anything to be gained from halftime uh, substitutions? And at John O'Louise, who is at Layout or Die on Twitter, says, I was crying from minute thirty five. Oh, to move Alexis to the left. Not actually crying. He wasn't <laughs> crying. Uh, I was crying for a minute 35. Sorry, uh, Jono. Uh, crying for a minute 35 to move Alexis to the left and bring Giroud on. Why was this obvious solution not sought in time?
1: Interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I have never seen, to my knowledge, Arsene Wenger make a strategic substitution in the first half of a game. Mm. I, I, I mean, it's an unusual thing anyway in football, but there are some managers who do it it always feels a little bit bombastic when they do a little bit like it's sort of you know self-consciously like look at me look at me what a what a, a strategist i am yeah, yeah. Uh, Mourinho is someone who's done it on more than one occasion and didn't he didn't he do it,
0: it to matić or somebody like that or he put matić on as a substitute possibly. and then took him off and and matić said like the the damage that did to him as a in terms of his own confidence etc was uh, was was considerable, right? I think there's something humiliating when a player is taken off in the first half. And I don't think, I think, yeah, yeah, I don't think there was any any Arsenal player who was playing that badly, or the team wasn't playing that badly in the first half that you could necessarily justify a first half substitution.
1: No, I think that's true, and I also think Arsene Wenger. You know, even a half time change is very rare, isn't it, for Mm. him? Uh, And I think it's because he, you know, he likes to give the players he's picked the opportunity to change the game. Now, saying that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, were you frustrated watching the match on on Saturday? Did you feel like changes ought to have been made earlier?
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Certainly, uh, as United built up that bit of pressure, I was going, we really need to do something to change. Uh, to change the the dynamic in the team. It was clear, you know, 20 minutes into the second half that we just weren't clicking at all, that we weren't attacking in any significant way, we weren't threatening in any real way, and it felt like something would have or should have changed. So I would have had Giroud on a, a little bit earlier. And uh, I, th- I think it still took him five or six minutes after the goal went in to put on... Mm. Uh, to put on Giroud. I'm just going to check back on the the live blog here because I've obviously uh, got it here. So goal United in the 68th minute, 69th minute. And then, yeah, okay. So it was like five minutes after. El Neni came off and Giroud came on. So... mm.
1: I think what I really felt about that as well, Jury came on and, and that was something. But after that point, I felt like we were waiting quite a lot longer for the for other introductions. You know, Jacques came on and then Oxlade-Chamberlain. That was not for Oxley chamberlain was in the last 10 minutes, was it? I, Jacques
0: I came on in the 80th minute for Coquelin and Oxley chamberlain came on in the 84th minute for Carl Jenkinson
1: so they weren't given a huge amount of time no. to uh influence the game. I think there was an extent to which when when the game was at nil nil Arsene probably felt that that wasn't a terrible result and it always yeah. felt as if he was sort of looking to what we have we hold and I think he had a lot of his better defensive players out on the pitch in fact. Yeah, yeah rather than on the And if bench. if we can nick a goal then great, you know, if not then let's exactly. keep the clean sheet. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he didn't want to destabilize what he perceived as a relatively solid defensive setup, with Coquelin and Nani in front of the back four, um, but you know, it's a really tricky one because it's not a great it's not a great game on which to cr- criticise the manager for his substitutions, is it? When one crosses for another one to score, <laughs> it's the uh, timing of them rather than the I guess the timing of
0: them more than the 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 the, the, uh, the acts themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we all know Arsene Wenger doesn't make a change until the 67th minute of a game. You know, Mm. that's the earliest he'll he'll consider doing it, really. But I think it's not like we were 2-0 down and the game was gone and, you know, we needed desperately to change things. We weren't playing well, but it was still very finely balanced. So I can understand him being conservative, I think, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. What, What do you think?
0: yeah i think he was content enough with the with the with the clean sheet that we kept up to that point um and maybe didn't want to destabilize it and didn't want to necessarily throw on an attacker and then lose a goal and i don't know i felt just in general in terms of our own performance, in terms of his team selection, in terms of the substitutions, you could sense the, the caution from Arsene Wenger that he wasn't necessarily going out all out to try and win this game. It was a game that he
1: much more didn't want to lose than, than to win. Um, well, well, look, I mean, the million-dollar question comes from Michael Ross Adamson on Facebook, who says, why are we always shit at Old Trafford, regardless of results, we always play badly?
0: I think there's clearly a psychological issue at play there. There are some grounds that traditionally you don't do very well on. Um, I suppose, you know, if you were to go to the new Camp every season, you'd probably be shit there too. Um, I'm (laughs) not saying, you know, there have been some really disheartening displays at Old Trafford over the last couple of years in particular. Um, So if you're playing one of Ferguson's best teams and you have a difficult day at Old Trafford, well, okay, we understand that because he was a brilliant manager and his teams were 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 excellent and won the title uh, more often than anyone else. But when you're facing a David Moyes team that's absolute cack and you end up losing or a Van Gaal team like last season that was absolute cack and you end up losing, then it goes beyond the quality of the opposition for me. And I think that there is something of a psychological barrier, whether it's with the players, whether it's with just the manager uh or a combination of those things. Um I think that's playing a part, to be perfectly honest. Um I don't know how you get over that other than win a game.
1: But maybe Or, or change know. all the
0: players and manager. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> that's the other way around. But yeah, I, I think there are just some some grounds where you're you're not very good at and it, it creates a weight. I mean it's like Stoke. Like our, our record away at Stoke is terrible, but Stoke are shit. Let's face it. Yeah. You know, they're even with, uh, you know, these uh, all these uh, good little players that they've got right now, they're still not a very good side, but our record at Stoke is more to do with the weight of history than it is with the quality of the opposition. So why are we so shit at Old Trafford? Because we are. And how do we fix that? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe taking some confidence from fluking a one-all draw, even though we play really poorly. Mm. Maybe we, that could be a turning point, that last-minute equaliser. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we are definitely, we definitely do struggle there. It was amazing, really, quite how kind of tepid our performance was. Yeah. You know? um,
0: I mean, is that is yeah. that a worry? Because, you know, the, the North London derby was quite, Passive. We were, you know, we weren't as aggressive as you would like an Arsenal team to be in the North London derby. And again, at Old Trafford, I, I don't think there was any lack of effort, but we, we did feel a little bit inhibited in terms of the way that we played and the way that we um, com- competed physically. Uh, it, it felt a little bit, a little bit, um, not, not quite as strong as it could have been
1: yeah I think well look I mean they're not great performances, really in either game uh it's a real it's a real toss up isn't it because it's the performance versus the result The results are fairly decent um the performance is less so maybe maybe that bit of conservatism maybe mm. that bit of uh is helping us you know maybe we're playing with our with our heads a bit more instead of getting carried away and chasing a game and losing it sure so you know there's two sides to every coin I think that the PSG games a big one now. You know, we had three massive games in a row. Uh we we drew with Spurs which was a little bit disappointing because we we're the home side, but a, a point at Old Trafford's a, a decent one. If we can if we can round it off with a win against Paris Saint-Germain, you'd have to look at this period in November mm. and say we've actually come out of it pretty well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. It's a big
1: if though, you know.
0: It's a big if. I mean, PSG have been in pretty good form, have they? I don't know what they've been doing. Did they lose uh, some players to injury this weekend? I think I saw some people talking on Twitter about Angel Di Maria picking up a, a hamstring injury. Um, well, that's always welcome.
1: Yeah. Uh, they beat Nantes 2-0 on Saturday. Oh, anyone uh, could do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, look, it, they we, we, we got lucky in that game, didn't we? It was not a dissimilar performance to mm. the United one. Uh, went behind... Probably we were much worse, actually, defensively. Cavani could have had about five, six goals. Yeah, we? Jesus. Um, yeah. But we snatched we snatched a late-ish equaliser mm. from Alexis Sanchez. So, yeah, we need to be better than we were at the Parc de France, certainly. Yeah,
0: we need a big, big, uh, big European night, I think.
1: Yeah, why not? That'd be lovely. Mm. You'll be there.
0: I will be there and uh, yeah i'm looking forward to it. it it should be uh should be a great game okay here's here 's a question from Tom, who is uh, biggers in Paris. He said after Oli g 's bullet header at the weekend, what are your five favorite headers for Arsenal? ooh
1: great question mm. uh favorite headers well let 's just start listing them and then see if we can get okay it too well far.
0: here's here's one that sticks in my mind uh, I know he 's not the most popular player. Of all time, I know what's going to be. Do you? you? think it's David Platt against Manchester United?
1: <laughs> Is that what I was going to say? Yeah. Oh no! When you said not most popular player of all time, I was convinced it was going to be Bentner against Spurs. No, that was a
0: great one. I love that one where he comes on as a substitute. But I'm talking about the the brilliant three-two game at Highbury um, yeah. in the in the double-winning season when we were we were 2 0 up, weren't we? Anelka and Vieira, and then Sheringham, I think, scored. Maybe two two goals. I think he Uh, did score twice. Did score twice. And then we had a corner. I think it was taken by a left footer. Maybe it was... Was it Nigel Winterburn? I can't remember. I don't
1: know, because it was an outswinger. It was
0: an outswinger. And David Platt with his big moon-shaped fucking forehead. uh, That header was just, like, unbelievable. Into the top corner. Yeah, looping but spinning and twirling into the the top corner. That That was a great header. And the bender one is fantastic as well yeah what else have we got in terms of headers? uh
1: I, do you know what i i do You didn't score many but i think fondly of Thierry Henry's against Manchester United at the Emirates stadium
0: is oh, that the first season of the yeah. Emirates do you remember
1: that that's right a a, a, bouquet a bouquet's cross, cross. buaye's yeah. cross and, and that was a late winner was it not it was
0: and that was the weird game when van Persie, in celebrating that goal like broke his metatarsal i think and was out uh, for, for ages and ages. Maybe it had happened during the game, but I think the story was that he'd he'd done it um he'd done it while celebrating, yeah. What
1: what was he doing? Was he, doing it, he was like, running expire? after Henri and a, then
0: Henri sort of turned and he turned and something happened, I don't know.
1: Well, they never got on, did they? So no. Henri probably tripped him. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh I'm trying to think of others now. There must have been some some good headers scored by uh defenders down the years, you know, the likes of Tony Adams, Sol Campbell, they must have contributed.
0: Well, to yeah, yeah, that, well, yeah, let me think. Sacker
1: scored a great one, didn't he,
0: against um Against, against Tottenham,
1: yeah, that was a brilliant that was his one. his first goal for Arsenal, I think. That's oh, Bakary what... Sanya against Spurs. Oh, yeah, I love that goal. I fucking love that I love how, what that goal
0: did to the team that day. That yeah. was that was the uh, the ultimate. Fuck this, fuck this, I'm not having this. We're two 0 down to Spurs at home. Boom, get the fuck in there now. You, the rest of you cunts, wake up and win. And they did. That was one of the one of the five twos, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first five two. We were two 0 down, mm. uh, and he just transformed, transformed the game really. The, the sheer force. Of the goal seem to sort of unsettle Spurs. I mean, uh, Giroud contributed plenty.
0: Yeah, he's a. I mean, he's probably the best player in the air in the Premier League. I mean, who else yeah. is scoring those headers?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I think the only one who really can rival him is is well, I mean, if he was fit ever, Andy Carroll potentially. Yeah, uh, but he's not fit ever. So yeah, I think apart from right.
0: apart from when we face West Ham.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he'll be, sure he'll be fit
0: next week or the week after when we play them and then he'll be out for another 18 months uh, yeah, yeah, injury. But, yeah, no, Giroud scored some great headers. Uh, there was one against Newcastle. Was that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good header. That was a pretty brilliant one. And uh, even the one he scored the other week against uh, Sunderland.
1: Um, I liked that. That had something off the plat to it, I guess, in some respects. Yeah, the way yeah. he sort of met that. He guided uh, it. So there we go. There's some pretty decent ones on that list. We've
0: forgotten plenty, so no doubt people will, will treat them at us. Um, when's the last
1: time we scored a diving header? I always think of, do you know diving headers? I always think of Ashley Cole against Dynamo Kiev. Mm. Uh, do you remember to yeah. get out of the group stage in the Champions and League? And there was,
0: what, about three minutes left in the game, something like that? Yeah. yeah. yeah, That was a good one. So I can't remember. I love a diving header. I always feel like diving headers should be like goal and a half. Should get an yeah. extra point for for diving headers. I
1: agree um, with you. So yeah, if uh, anyone can think of a good diving header, uh, please uh, please let us know. They're always welcome. Yeah, that Ashley Carl one definitely was a was a big moment. Mm. Um, Oh, that was fun. I enjoyed. It. I mean, I love a headed goal. I love a headed goal. So do sort I. of, you know. As Arsenal fans, we we don't necessarily get too many of them. Am I right in thinking and hearing that we haven't conceded one yet this season in the Premier League? That is what they said. Just
0: as Manchester United stood over yeah. the free kick <laughs> towards the end that, that Rooney was taking, um, and then I
1: was my I was like,
0: oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> why did you say that? That's Martin Tyler. You know, uh, Arsenal. Arsenal have not conceded a headed goal, and then. Now they have! Yeah. He's like, you fucker. He's trying to set up stuff for himself.
1: I know, of course he is. But, I mean, yeah, that feels remarkable, really. Mm. All right, final Very one. Final one. This Go comes
0: on. from um, Bar Emo Ama on Facebook. And he says, Can you people call me to come and play for defence? I can bench anybody in Arsenal defence.
1: He might have a chance with Jenkinson. Um, (laughs) can we call him I mean I don't think we we can if we had his number we would we would yeah. but but we don't have the authority really do we
0: no we can't necessarily call you and say you're in mate you're starting on Wednesday against PSG
1: it's all got to go through the manager really Mm. but he's probably on Facebook Arsene Wenger yeah for sure I'm sure he's probably using a slightly different name you know Arsenal Wenger, or something, so no one will find him. <laughs> but if you can, if you can, if, what's the guy's name who's messaged in? Bar Emo Ama. Okay. Well, Bar Emo Ama. If you get in touch with Arson, he's, he's your guy, really. Yeah. I'd love to think that any of our discussions about the starting lineup held any sway whatsoever, but sadly, they don't.
0: They don't. No, he, he, he basically decides. So, yeah, just follow him on, on, uh, on Facebook, send him some weird messages. Pictures of your your body, perhaps?
1: (laughs) And tell him you're a right back. That is the area at the moment. If you want to get a game, that's where that you know. If Matsu Dabushi's been you know, called back in from the cold it tells you that we're in, we're in some need by that. We certainly are.
0: All right. Well, look, uh, we're going to leave it there, uh, but we will see you hopefully on Thursday at the garage in Highbury and Islington. Remember, tickets, very few of them left. You can get them from myticket.co.uk. Uh, just search for Arscast. You can get your tickets there. Uh, we hope to see you there on Thursday uh, for uh, uh, what we hope as well will be a, a celebrity celebra- celebratory show uh, after a win against... Uh, PSG when Bar-Imo Ama scores the winning goal, having Rampage down the right-hand side. A rewarding Uh, run from right back. uh, Yeah, exactly, like Cafu or someone like that. Um, So we'll do that. We'll see you on Thursday. That show will be recorded live, and that will be the Arsecast uh, for Friday. Uh, So that will be up and about on Friday morning for you. So if you can't make the show, you can hear it on Friday morning. So uh, until then, uh, have a good one.
1: Bye-bye.